Dr. P, we're back with episode two of the weekly podcast with you. How are you? I'm very good, sir. Just, you know, ticking boxes, trying to trying to get ready for wintering, as the Stoics would say. Get myself get myself mentally prepared for the cold, dark, horrible months ahead and using that to build some resilience. So yeah. Nice, just, like just just trying to get out of holiday mode and back into work work mode now. But yeah, all's good in the hood. Um weirdly. Yeah, good, good. Weirdly, I find I find it easier to to, to to eat better or train better in the winter. I don't know what mm. it is about everybody doing the opposite that makes <clears> it better. Same as waking up early, like you know, everyone's sleeping. I don't know what's going on there, but mm. yeah, I don't know. I think I think for me, it's it's the same. It's because I think I value daylight. Um, so like the earlier I get up and the earlier I get my work done and things, it allows me to you know, get out and get some fresh air during the day without feeling the guilt of missing work hours. So I think, yeah, I'm the same, really. I probably get up earlier in winter than I do in summer, even though it's grimmer and more horrible. But maybe that's, I don't know, maybe that's part of the uh, the mentality that I've, you guess you guess just develop certain resilience. And there's something about, I guess, like running ultra marathons and things like that for me. It's like there's something about doing hard things which gives you more satisfaction. So, yeah, in the summer, getting up and out of bed earlier, there's no real incentive to do that because it's not difficult no, exactly. when it's nice and bright outside. No, exactly. Um, which might be a slightly sadistic way of looking at the world, but, you know, if it works, it works, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. I think, um, <clears throat> like last week, the podcast covered a lot of topics and people liked it, and we spoke a bit about, well, we've spoken in the past a bit about maintenance, and most people mm-hmm. listen, I think 90% of people listening will be on fat loss 10 percent mm-hmm. will probably need a transition to maintenance um so the, the main thing for you is to for people is how so comments frequent comments i've i haven't lost weight in 10 days i haven't lost weight in seven days um mm-hmm. i'm losing motivation right so mm-hmm. there's a big even knowing that diet culture and your your dieting is the one of the worst things you can do for your body to go up and down what is it that gets people to realize that the slow approach is only the real, only real one that works? Like from your professional experience, <clears throat> well, training athletes and stuff like that, I suppose everybody wants to make gains fast, but it's not mm. really how it works. I think that at the fundamental heart of it, it's about setting the right goal. So the fact of the matter is, and I have this conversation a lot with people when they'll say things like, Oh, I've lost weight before and therefore that's the approach that they would use or they've lost weight before and it was a more aggressive phase but then the question I always ask them which is kind of a bit of a head scratcher for a lot of people is well then why are we having this conversation now as a coach yeah. right so if it's worked for you if it's worked for you then why why is it that we're having this conversation so I think that the first thing really is to is to really define what success means and if you can think about success as not being about weight weight loss as such, at least it initially might be, it's about weight maintenance. Well, the only way that we're ever going to maintain weight by definition is, and, and to create a sustainable approach to our nutrition, is to start imparting the, 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 the values, the beliefs, the behaviors, the nutrition approaches now that are by definition sustainable. Now, if something's sustainable, the chances are, that it's not going to be as aggressive in a deficit. Chances are it is going to be a slower and steadier approach. But that's the point. I think if people could really think about what their goals really meaningfully are, and it's not for me to, you know, to tell people what their goals are, but it's also up for people, it's up to people to reflect upon their past successes and say, okay, firstly, was it really successful? And secondly, if it wasn't successful, 
why don't I just commit to doing something different instead of losing £10 this time and gaining £12 back? Because that still puts you in a worse place, you know, in 12 months' time, two years' time, three years' time. So I think for me, it's been very clear whether it's an athlete I'm working with it's been, or whether it's my own personal goals, whether that's in business or a weight loss client or whatever, it's been very clear about what my actual goals are and not just what the goal is, but like, is that really the goal I want to try and achieve? And you know, you, because you, you said yeah. a good point as well. Like, so when these people come and go, well, this is what I did last time. And you go, well, if it was so good where you lost your weight, so these people lose 30, 40 pounds quickly. Uh, if that was such a good lifestyle you had, why did you throw it away so easily? What was it mm. about that weight you reached that wasn't you weren't able to hold on to? It must have been horrible. It must have been confusing. It must have been too much of a push that you pushed all the way back to weight gain. So you, what you've done there is you've basically they've you've lost the weight, realized actually I can't the, the weight's lost is fine, but I feel shit. I feel terrible. I can't do this. I can't do this anymore. And you'd rather gain all the way back because you are rationalizing every week. Oh, I'm putting weight on. I'm putting weight on. And you go, do you know what? I'd rather put weight on because it's not nice being down that weight that I reached. And the reason it's not nice is because they've taken such an extreme approach that they think that's the only approach that's left to maintain. Mm-hmm. But maintenance of weight is completely different to the freaking fat loss macros. You're not going to mm-hmm. be fat loss macros forever. And if you think about it, if you were to do it slowly, and everyone listening, if you were to do it slowly, most of you have got, on average, say, 20 to 50 pounds to lose. Like, some people have more, some people have less. But say you've got 50 pounds to lose on average for the person who's overweight in the UK, right? That's 50 weeks, 50 to 60 weeks of a moderate deficit, and you've lost that weight. And then you've got a maintenance for the rest of your life. So in the grand scheme of your life, it's actually not long. But it's long because you yaw yaw all the time. So then it takes mm. 10 years and you're still not in the same position. Um, so that approach is interesting. And I was speaking yesterday to, um, I don't know if you heard of the Barmy Army, like the cricket organization. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh, the English, so, English Barmy Army. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. the owner of the, well, the, the CEO now, Chris, he's, I think he's 30 actually. He took over the Barmy Army and wanted to get membership up and was asking him questions about it. And he was like, yeah, what's really worked for us is steady slow growth i've always chased the big deal with sky i did a big deal with sky and i thought it'd give us huge amounts of members but it didn't and actually i prefer going slow and steady now and it's growing nicely than having these big oh i put everything on it i hope this works out please 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 and it doesn't then you get shot your your hope is destroyed and then you're you're in the dumps so i think that's sorry scott um i think yeah, I, th- I think that's true of pretty much anything. It's like the more aggressive you are, the more stress you're going to be under or the more the more pressure you put on yourself to maintain large deficits, the more pressure you put on yourself to grow a business quickly, the more investment you have in something. You know, if the, if the investment isn't the right thing, like you'll understand this as a business owner, if you're investing in the wrong things, it doesn't matter how much investment you put into that, it's not going to solve the problem, no. you know? And I think that people treat that, you know, to use the financial... Um, kind of, you know, bank balance stuff as a kind of metaphor for fat loss. Like the people, people think by investing more and more money, and or, and that being a the you know equating to the calorie deficit that they're going to lose weight quicker and quicker and quicker, and that's better and better and better. And it might not be, you know. I think a bit of a bit of advice that someone once gave me is, you know, if if you wanna if you wanna get if you wanna get wealthy, 
Like, don't listen to someone in business who's been who's made it a hit with their first ever business straight off the bat. You know, it's yeah. like people need to have had a series of failures. The thing yeah. is that separates those people who become entrepreneurs or the people that separates people who are successful in fat loss, in my experience, is it's the willingness to learn from those experiences. So I actually did a few years ago now, if you want to talk about times being short or quick or whatever, like, you know, we've had a massive pandemic, which was what, two years ago now? It's only over two years. Like, I know it was a difficult time for a lot of people, but like that's gone over. It feels like it was like yesterday, you know, we were, yeah. we were talking about certain things and we had the first octagon challenge and all that kind of cool stuff that we developed. Um, and that seems like it was yesterday. And that's the thing, like what seems like a long way off now isn't a long way off in 12 months. You know, it's, it was weird the other day. I got like a, like I completed, I had my PhD vibe, um, like six years ago. And I was like, like what? Like, it feels like it was <laughs> yesterday. Yeah. You know, it's, it's crazy. Um, in fact, it might yeah. be seven years ago, it's seven years ago, I think. And I was like, what have I done in that time? You're like, oh, I haven't done anything. And then you realize that the slow, steady progress towards building a clinic and traveling and I've lived in different cities and, and all of that stuff and the work we've done together and the work, all the projects I've worked on, I've worked with professional teams in that time and all this kind of cool stuff. But it doesn't seem like it's that long ago because actually and it, in the grand scheme of- And it know, wasn't one thing that did all of that. It was like, each day kind of felt the same, maybe similar. Mm. There was one of the meeting on that day. There was a, a yeah. training session athlete on that day. It wasn't actually one massive, huge day that created all of that. Yeah, and I think I think there's 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 obviously watershed moments and watershed shed conversations, whether that's weight loss, performance, whatever business. There's these watershed moments where you can say, okay, that was a significant moment, but it's very easy. It's very easy to. You know, we, like a lot of our community will have these light bulb moments where something finally clicks and they understand what we're talking about. And it doesn't just become this kind of com this ethereal conversation that we're trying to manufacture into some some meaning for ourselves. There's a light bulb moment that some people will have. And it's the same in anything. It's like, but that light bulb moment only comes from time, commitment, consistency, having different conversations. And then, yes, you might and be having, able to say. <clears throat> and, having, and, I've, and actually seeing things like lightheartedly as an experiment having a bit of fun that's when yeah. you start noticing and realizing stuff if you're too serious about i find that people are so serious about fat loss and about white rice versus brown rice they can't see beyond this like really narrow point of view but if you have fun mm. experimenting and track your food and you track mcdonald's you track a five guys you track a meal out you track alcohol just for the fun of it and you see what happens you go oh my god oh yeah yeah, that really is. I've had that once a week, and that, yeah, that fish and chips is just one thousand five hundred calories. Light bulb. Well, I've been I actually did. Like... This might be worth doing next time we get together and have a big group meet up. I actually did a um because I did a talk out in the US pre COVID, and it was about designing your own nutrition approach basically, and it was because a lot of people there were sort of fearful of carbohydrates and fearful of this and fearful of that, and you know diet culture in the US is even more insane and crazier than it is in the UK. Like yeah. hard for some people to imagine, but it, it really is. And some of the conversations I've had out there are just kind of like, wow. Um, but one of the things I did was kind of saying, okay, well, you know, we talked about this idea of what worked and what didn't. I asked the audience and then we got a list of different dietary approaches. And then we went through and we said like, look, okay, well, what was it about keto? What was it about their equivalent of, you know, Weight Watchers or Slimming World? What was it that was good about those things? And what was it that wasn't sustainable about those things? And I think that, if people could go through that and say, okay, let's let's extract some of the good and some of the bad, they'd probably have a pretty good 
framework of what sustainable should then look like. And yeah. once you can then just put a little sprinkling on top of that, of understanding that all of those things work just by eliciting a calorie deficit, if you could say, well, look, well, you know what, actually, I really like keto because the protein kept me feeling full. Right. Well, guess what? You keep more protein in, but you don't have to be miserable and not have carbohydrates the rest of your mm. life. I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed, um, I don't know, like uh, intermittent fasting because, you know, it was easy. It was quick to follow and it reduced my eating window. Okay. That was fine on certain days, but it didn't work on social occasions or when you were traveling or, you know, if you had to, you know, you know, you were hungry of a morning, that's why it didn't work for you. Okay. Well, what was the principle of that? Well, the principle was you had a structured eating window, structured meal times. And, you know, I, I say this a lot and I will repeat this, you know, ad nauseum until I make everybody sick of hearing it, but it's about understanding principles over processes. If you understand the principles of what worked and what didn't, and then you can sort of create a series of processes that work in, in every situation, whether you're on the road, whether you're at home, whether you've got, you know, uh, whether you're single, whether you're in a relationship, whether you're, you know, whatever it is that has an impact on your eating behaviors, potentially, uh, you know, seasons we've just talked about there, right? You know, all of those mm -hmm. things, if we can, if we can understand the principles over the processes and we can say, okay, well, let's make the process fit the principles, but the process can be context specific and, you know, there's there's very few principles we need to adhere to i think really um but i think I'm, it's better to, and also to yeah. do focus on the principle means you can stop getting so confused with a thousand processes like you can understand yeah. the principle and not be bogged down in the, the micro stuff that actually really doesn't make much of a difference just stresses people out they're yeah. in the yeah, they're, you know they're in the diets different 100 different diets different processes it's like you just need to be in a deficit to lose weight, guys. Like, whoever you want to get in that deficit, just fucking do what you want. Eat what you want to start with. I mean, you don't have to be perfect health-wise. You have to compromise in this as well. And this is where those purists of, like, clean-eating purists are, like, quite wrong in this. It's like how, obviously, we'd all love to be eating home-cooked meals fully tracked and with, with micronutrient intake, and we'd love to have all this type of... Um, you know that wholesome diet every day but it's not for, for most people the reality is it's not really going to be possible unless you've got all the resources and the time and when you get to older generation like i've had to make for my father now i had to go like right his partner is not going to cook him meals from scratch every day but she's bought yeah. him pot noodles so i'm like right let's replace the pot noodle with those high protein meals you can buy from asda and tesco and stuff right yeah so Okay, he likes chocolate, but he's not allowed to eat ice cream anymore. Okay, here's the 20 gram protein mousse. What I mean, it's not ideal like to be eating processed foods all the time, but you know, that's the reality you have to work with. He's not going to be eating wholesome foods because it's not going to work. It's just, it's just face the facts, basically. Yeah, I think that even, and, and there's, there's a, I think one of the reasons I've become increasingly withdrawn from the fitness industry over the last, I guess, the last 12 months, really apart from obviously working with, with these guys and wanting to figure out ways to be more in uh, these guys, you guys <laughs> working with these guys, as in the podcast listeners, that's what we're trying to get out there. Um, <laughs> is working with you guys. I don't know. It's weird talking in the first, I don't know what person tense I should be speaking on a podcast. It's very surreal. Um, but the, the point is that like the reason I've become frustrated with things and I'm trying to do things that are more impactful, which is why I got involved with turtle in the first place is because it's just, there is just so much hypocrisy within the fitness industry. You know, there's yeah. so much hypocrisy within like the people out there that people follow telling you they do things and you know, they don't do it. 
you know, and, you know, I always, I always joke. It's like the best shape I've gotten in my life was probably done being the least bro bodybuilder-ish ever, which yeah. was like last year when I was just training loads, eating what I wanted within reason, sticking to a consistent calorie deficit over 12 months, you know, and like, yeah, I, you know, I had, I had a couple of glasses of rum every weekend and a big Sunday roast every Sunday and didn't feel any guilt or shame about it. And, you know, and, and the thing is, the irony is that a lot of people in the industry who preach that stuff, the clean eating or this diet or that diet, they, they, they don't do it. And that's the thing. They don't, they'll say they do that. And it's, it's like everything, you know, the thing that people shout about the most I find in the fitness industry, and it is something to watch out for if you follow any fitness influencers, is the thing they shout about the most is the stuff they tend to feel most guilty over. I'll give you an example recently, which has been grinding my gears a little bit. A lot of former bikini competitors coming out now talking about kind of like how damaging and, you know, how damaging competing in bikini competitions is for bodybuilding, right? And it, and it is, you know, physically, emotionally can be very dangerous. And they've, they, they then, they're talking about the healthy proponents of gaining weight and, you know, the need to gain weight afterwards and to have a better relationship with food. And by the way, I agree with all of this messaging, but it's layered with, it's layered with a, um, an under, an undertone, a very clear undertone of people justifying them losing control of their own eating behaviors, but they won't blame the sport. They won't blame the competition. They will just use it to justify their own mindset at that any given time. And yeah. then same again, oh, when, it then, when it then comes to dieting again, it's like, oh, you know, I've gained too much fluff. Now it's time to start dieting again. And it's like, I, there's, there's some really good people out there that are trying to get a good message across. But ultimately, whenever I see a fitness industry kind of message being portrayed, particularly when it's to do with diet, it's just sort of like a lot of the time it's people saying things that they think they should be doing or what they believe they should be doing. And actually most of the time it's, it's not what they are doing or not what they believe. It's just their oh, kind God, of like, yeah, you're bang on. yeah it's that it's them, it's them vocalizing and um, vocalizing their own insecurities about whether they're doing enough and then they'll justify it in different ways. Like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not here and you're not here really to tell anyone like, like hopefully anything that's anything other than a few home truths from time to time, which, you know, I'd hope we portray in quite a, a loving, caring and empathetic way rather than just being, you know, I, I'd never want anyone to listen to this sort of information and feel like I was judging them for following those things. Because the thing is, like, I think we've both been there, seen it, done it. Like we've been in the proper bro elements of the, the fitness community, which is like, you know, clean eating, you know, all of this kind of stuff basically giving people disordered eating and, and, and unorthorexia, you know, the, the belief that they can't eat anything other than the cleanest of clean foods. Um, so I think like, you know, we have been in there in the trenches and seen it from that end. And, and so that anyone who is listening to this, if you have followed, I guess, other regimes now, it's not to say, oh, it's silly to follow those things because the marketing is very good and the sales is very good. And the people who promote these things are very good at selling these ideals. But at the heart of everything is it's sort of being able to kind of go, right, well, I guess it's the point we made before. It's like, actually, all of this stuff might have got me an amazing 12-week transformation at some point or an eight-week transformation, but did it actually transform me? And by transform, what I mean is not just physically, but mentally, did it improve your relationship with food? Did it increase your educational knowledge, uh, your knowledge and, and education on food choices? Did it improve your relationship with food or did it increase the fear that you have with foods because all of this stuff falls under the banner of sustainability and if you can't have a good relationship with food or you feel guilt for eating certain foods yes 
there's always going to be a, I think, you know, the way I would describe it is particularly people who are new to tracking. It's kind of like, you know, you feel like you're a bit under interrogation and the light's really bright, but with time and experience and when you get confident seeing that you can have a bit of variety, that, that big bright spotlight just gets turned into, you know, like a little dimmer switch and it just becomes right. something where you're, you're more aware of what you're consuming. You cut the BS on, you know, like what you have eaten and what you are overeating on and not justifying you know, overeating and going, I don't eat that much. It's about calling ourselves on our own, um, I guess, yeah. on our own uh, ability. Always say that, yeah, right, at the end of the day, the numbers will always show in the end. Like, you know, if you're, if you, some people will be like, oh, I'm not, I've, I'm, I'm definitely in a deficit and uh, they've gained, say they've gained 10 pounds of fat. It's like, look, it doesn't matter what you think, but the truth is you've gained 10 pounds of fat. You have not been in a deficit, you've been in a surplus. That's all that needs to be said. It's not judging you. It's not saying you're an idiot. It's not saying bad stuff about you. It's just the fact is, whatever you've been doing equals surplus. So we need to change something. And it's mm. not an attack on you. It's nothing to do with that. It's just the fact. If you can work from a fact without an emotional charge from it, and just, you know, this is classic, you know, even in business, you know, you have like an idea and someone will go, look, the idea, thanks for the idea, but it just, it just flat out won't work. That's a fact. Mm. It's not. It's not feasibly possible to do it, and it's like that person taking it personally and going, "Oh, you're fucking." Or and the difference is them looking at the fact and going, "Okay, I see the numbers. Thanks for the facts, and move on." And that's how mm. you should look at your, the data you collect. Really, isn't it? It's like you look at your data, your muscle growth, or your performance, and you look at the data. And go, right. Oh, well, I'm not running faster in the last eight weeks. I've been training. I'm, and then you you don't go. Oh, I suppose you go. Well. That's a fact. So something needs to change. Well, it's it's interesting. It's interesting you should say that. I was having a conversation with someone the other day, um, someone who was quite like I wouldn't say like a, a top level runner, but good level competitive runner, who was feet who had got into running over lockdown as kind of like a weight loss thing, um, had followed certain nutrition approaches which weren't exactly what I would say is ideal for performance and weight loss, but they'd done they'd done well given the constraints of their nutrition and training, and it was interesting because what they'd found was without following any structured training program, without really following any structured nutrition program, they started to notice like their, let's say their 5k time was coming down. And then when it wasn't coming down anymore, they started to get, that started to demoralize them because again, they'd attached, they'd attached them an emotion to the number on the watch in terms of their pacing, rather than using that number as an indicator to say, right, well, what is the expectations I should have considering, you know, I'm a full-time mum of two who runs in their spare time, who doesn't have a structured training program. It's like, why would you expect to be able to run faster week on week on week? And then you take it to its logical conclusion, which is, would you expect, in the same with weight loss, would you expect people to just lose weight forever and ever and ever till they just disintegrate into nothingness, until they transcend human body and spirit and become <laughs> a part of the, you know, and, and, and <laughs> Yeah, and that's the thing, like, regardless of where you are or whether you're losing weight or not, or whether you're an athlete, at some point we have to accept a, a healthy level of constraint on what we're physically capable of. But we can't accept that physical constraint on what we're capable of until we've identified what it is that's causing that plateau in the first place. And that's what happened, is that this this person I was speaking to had basically not followed the structure and train pl training plan, was getting frustrated because her data wasn't improving. And instead of going right, oh, right, right, maybe now is time to speak to a running coach or maybe it's time to figure out what's wrong with my performance and educate myself. You know, there's, there's the whole adage, isn't it? You can pay in two things. You can pay in time or pay in money. You know, and if you don't want to pay in money, it will take your time, like with most things in life. 
You know, it's why we always say like anything, that you, even if you're not losing weight, if you're learning the skills and habits and techniques and tools and documenting your process, it's not wasted time. That's the thing we talked about before about leading to that sort of watershed light bulb moment. All that stuff still counts. We just uh. don't necessarily acknowledge it because, well, it's not sexy to acknowledge that I learned what protein was today. Well, how does that impact me in ways that you can't imagine until you have your light bulb moment? That's yeah. the reality of it. Oh, yeah. you know, eat, eating structures don't matter for me. Okay, well, until you do it consistently and all of a sudden that you do something consistently and then you don't realize that the accumulation of that and lots of different other behaviors means that you'll have like, oh, you've had one good day, then it's one good week, then it's one good month, then it's, right, well, this is sustainable. Yeah. And that's that's what people well said. don't realize. And, and and the main thing really, that was a bit of a segue, but the the main thing really is to focus on like, take the data, the emotion away from the data and try and understand what the data means. Before we attach an emotion to it, let's understand what it means. So in the case of that client I was talking about, well, if you've not run faster, okay, well, have you done any specific interval training? Have you fueled for performance correctly? Um, have you considered, you know, um, getting some performance testing or physiology to see if there's any restrictions there? Have you had your biomechanics tested for running? Are you running efficiently? You know? And all yeah. that stuff can be learned entirely through trial and error. But the more you're going to use trial and error, which, you know, we, we profess and we preach, the, the longer it's going to take to get to the outcome. But that's also why I exist as a coach and, you know, we exist as a business, yeah. right? Is it's to help people take those shortcuts and to try and take that emotion away from the data. So, you know, regardless of what someone's goal is, you know, like um, to, to give, use the business analogy, like over the last few months, because I've been building certain things, I've accepted that my business is losing money. It's now got to a point where it's like, I'm, I've been okay and comfortable with that because that's part of the process is investing. Like I said, you've got to invest time or you've got to invest money. And, and actually it's usually the same thing. Cause if you're building other things and working on the projects, it usually means you're not sat actually doing tasks mm -hmm. that earn cash. And it's whether you're willing to make that sacrifice and take that risk that, that really matters and understand that it's not something whether it's business whether it's weight loss it's not just going to happen overnight you know no, you're going to have you're going to have to invest in it and there's going to be times when it's a little bit stressful and there's going to be times when it's frustrating and there's going to be times when the bank balance is going down or the weight's going up and there's going to be times when you think you're winning and it's great and you're on top of it and then all of a sudden you know you get a tax bill or a bit of equipment breaks that's expensive that you need that your business is pinned around or there's a supplier issue or whatever it is and then you're down a bit but the longer you stay in the game and as long as you're as long as you're using that data as a guiding process of how we should be spending our time or using that data as a way to say okay well what is it about my current approach that i can change and for a lot of people who haven't lost weight over say like to bring it back to the sort of initial question if a lot of people haven't lost weight for a week or 10 days and it's genuinely they haven't lost any body fat then again it might not be i know you shared a, a video on the real reels yeah. talking about um, of me just yammering on about why weight fluctuates and stuff. You know, there's the physiological reasons why weight will fluctuate. And um, I've just had one client start uh, medical treatment and her weight's gone up five kilos in the space of three days, mm -hmm. right? Pure, and that, you know, that's, that ain't body fat increase, no, right? No you know, there's lots of different hormonal and medical reasons why that will be the case. Um, but the point is that, you know, as long as we understand the processes and then we've got a good li little kind of, you know, if we, if we, I know we talk a lot about journaling and we have the journal and the one big thing and stuff, but if people don't feel comfortable with their emotions, at least document your processes and your systems. Like this is how you structured your eating. This is how you did this. This is how you did that. You know, and then it, all it then takes is just tweaking one variable at a time. You know, That's it's like thing. if you, I mean, 
Yeah. The variable thing is the industry, like what you were saying earlier about you pay for a service of coaches. So if you think of your life as a set of dials, you can go up and down. You're basically paying a coach to tell you which dial to move. Like, you know, if you're, if your heating has gone, if your house is too hot, there's no emotion. It's like, house is hot, turn the fucking heating down. I'll turn the dial down. Yeah. And it's like, and it's with training and stuff, it's like, do I turn the dial up in frequency? And so the coaches will basically spare you from turning 100 dials to figure out what's the right dial. And then when it comes to macros and training, we're like, you turn the calorie deficit dial and the macro dial and you get 90% of your results. You can mess about with the other dials if you want, but you can say forever. It's like a DJ... You know the music's too loud. The DJ's not going to go fucking. Why is the music too loud? He's going to turn the fucking not the dial down. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just it's yeah. not. You don't have to add a story to the thing all the time. And when you was mm. what's interesting, I was reading this book about. It's a very different book on leadership, and it talks about leadership as an emotional state versus logical all the time. Mm. And whilst we've got the logic and the macros and the calories, if your emotional state is not anxious person twenty four seven and stressed out. You have yeah. to sort that out as well because yeah, that's gonna, absolutely. No matter how much data you got, if you're an anxious person about everything you're eating, you have to sort that route out. And that route is basically mm-hmm. coming from diet culture mainly, where you think you can't eat a fucking chocolate bar because it's going to make you explode in fucking fifty pounds of fat. So unless you somehow understand your emotion, like you were saying, the journaling can help you understand your emotional processes. But you have to get a, you have to become a leader in your own body, basically, and mm-hmm. trust yourself. Steps well, forward. It's 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 interesting as as um there was there was some podcasts I was listening to business related stuff, but everything's sort of translational because fundamentally, whether you're trying to get you're trying to sell a product to somebody, basically you you know or you're trying to lose weight, you're trying to you're trying to figure out the uh, behavioural drivers behind those processes, right? And you know everyone's got their own little variation within that. So we're talking very generally here, but most people like you know it's like why is McDonald's so successful? It's because people pay for it not to be shit, right? Mm-hmm. They don't pay for it to be a Michelin star restaurant. They pay for the security and the comfort of something. They know how it's going to taste wherever it is in the world. You know, you know you're going to get your Wi-Fi there. You know the burgers are going to taste the same. You know it's not going to be awkward having to order something in a different country because you know it's the same everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, you know, like uh, as as a social animal, whether the, the nature of how we've socialized has changed through social media rather than within communities is that quite often people crave that safety. They, they want to be in the middle of the pack. They don't want to be at the edges of the herd to be eaten by the lion, right? You know, we crave that and we crave that safety. And the, the problem with that is, is that that means that oh, well, we're kind of hardwired to seek comfort. And unfortunately, that, you know, the element of like you, what you were saying there, like behaviorally is, a lot of the people that sell things, they tap into this insecurity. It's like, you know, they tap into the insecurity and the fears, but that's kind of at loggerheads with our desire for comfort. So this is, but the difficult thing to sell is because their expectations have been shifted by diet culture. It's that you can lose weight and be healthier in a comfortable way. You don't have to be like extreme all the time, mm-hmm. but the, because that's what people should crave. But then it's almost like when it is too easy and it's not too difficult, it's almost like then that makes them feel uncomfortable. So they then gravitate back to what they were doing before, like overeating and things. And it's like, that's that's what I mean. Like behaviors are at the, the driving point of everything we do. And for some people that's true. And then for other people, it's just that they're so scared of doing something consistently because they're scared of failure. But what's the default thing to do is to gravitate back to the middle of the herd and just keep doing what you were doing, which 
right, I might get annoyed at myself once a week for gaining weight, or I might get frustrated once in a blue moon because I don't look the way that I look when I compare myself to my friends or family or whatever it might be. But there's a safety within that because, you know, within within culture at the moment, within society at the moment, the normalization of obesity, you know, and, and I'm, I'm all for body positivity in the sense that, um, you know, I'm all for body positivity in the sense that it's great that people, you know, should be accepted and that we should understand why people gain weight and understand why that can lead to health conditions. But we can't just ignore the fact that it's like a ticking time bomb for people's individual health and the health of a nation as a whole. And that's not to blame anybody for that. But if we can understand those kind of group behaviors and why it's the more people who are a certain way, the easier it is to gravitate that because that becomes normal. And, you know, if we're going to try and do abnormal things, then we have to be aware that we might have to feel like a little bit uncomfortable. You know, we have to be the kind of like hero in our own lives a little bit and say, no, I'm going to take control of this. And it is going to be a little bit uncomfortable, but it doesn't need to be quite as big and scary and aggressive and, you know, as, as terrifying as people think it is. And I think that's why people get apprehensive. It's because they, they get themselves really hyped up and motivated for this like really big effort. And then they start and it's like, it's not that hard, but also I'm frustrated because my weight's not coming down very quickly. And they get caught in this kind of like conflicting mindset between their perception of what needs to be successful and the reality of it. And again, to loop it back around to what we very started at the very beginning, we need to make our perception and our reality match up. Otherwise we get disappointment. That's where disappointment lies. It's when our perception and our reality don't meet properly. And then we end up feeling like, oh, well, I should have lost five pounds in this time rather than oh, I should have lost a pound in this time because that's what the numbers have been geared to. And if they haven't, then we just take the emotion out of it and then we just begin that reflective process again. So, you know, I think I think it's it's good to, you know, cliches like, you know, get comfortable being uncomfortable is fine. But it's also like, just get uncomfortable enough. You don't need to like hammer yourself. You don't need to kill yourself. You don't need to be losing three pounds a week to define yourself as a success. And on the other side of it, you know, if you are one of these people who does repeatedly try and diet and fail, try and figure out what it is that's pulling you back into the safety of that, the safety of those eating patterns, because that's where the deeper psychological behavioral stuff comes in. Like, why is it that after a day at work, you drink a bottle of wine? Or why is it that you have four takeouts a week because you're too tired to cook? You know, that that yeah. sort of stuff then becomes becomes where, it, yeah, it would have been, you know, it's... It just becomes, but we're, yeah. we're just pleasure... I think Donald did an awesome explanation of this. Like we're pleasure-seeking machines at the moment. But he said, mm. would you like to be a human? That's like tie, your brain is tied into wires and it's just giving you all this dopamine and serotonin flat out so you feel amazing. You've got all this pleasurable feelings in the mind, but you're a fucking brain stuck in some kind of t- tube, right? It's like, you don't want to be like that. You don't want to just be a pleasure monster just for the sake mm. of it. You, you know, that's what we're... That's what we're really, that's what you're really telling yourself. is like, I want pleasure, I want comfort. I don't want anything else. But actually, you, you might as well just be with that machine. Because mm-hmm. if you weren't going to go in the real world and actually try yeah. things out, you're going to have pleasure, a bit of sadness, up and down. And it's, that's the norm. That's the best way. Just up and down, in and out. But if we just mm-hmm. want pleasure, I mean, what's the point? What's yeah. the point really living? Just sit in your house and eat chocolate on a chair and you, there you go. But is that life like? And that's 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 an interesting point to be made. But also, I think this comes into the fact that like there's nothing wrong with pleasure seeking, in my opinion. It's it's the nature of the pleasure seeking that's the problem, and and it's trying to understand that the longer that we can delay gratification, the greater the response is, and it's more beneficial to 
like the analogy I always use for this is like training for a marathon. No one enjoys training for a marathon. No one really enjoys running a marathon unless they've got some weird issues, right? But it's this sense of accomplishment of doing difficult things, which is really where when you look back at your life and you say, what's the things you're most proud of or the moments that make you the most happiest? It's usually the things that have come after a period of real hard work and hardship. It's not the immediate gratification stuff. So I think that like, you know, there's a lot of people like Andrew Huberman and, and people like that who were just kind of like, you know, don't seek pleasure, don't do this, don't do that, don't get addicted to dopamine and stuff. And like, yeah, right, fine. You know, I, I get that, you know, there's the, there's the adage that like the more, the more instant pleasure we have, the more we seek it, yeah? Which is why, you know, that's how drug addiction happens and behavioral addiction happens to a certain extent. So I, I agree with that sentiment, but I also don't think that we should just have to live this monk life um, and I know I, I like, you know, I, I follow some principles of stoic philosophy, but like we don't have to live this completely stoic existence all of the time and put that pressure on ourselves the other way, you know? So but no, like, but you're, you said a good point. You said, what is the reason for seeking pleasure for most people is to yeah, escape yeah. how they feel right now? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'll seek pleasure and I'm, I don't need it, but damn right. I like pleasure. I like doing things that I enjoy. But if you're in a position where you said you turn into wine because you want the pleasure to escape the now, you turn into eating to escape the uncomfortability of now, the anxiety you have of trying things. If you, if that's the reason for turning to pleasure, you are just you're hiding. You're not answering the root. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, the, the, the argument, the, yeah, the argument to that would be: is that even pleasure seeking, or is that self-medicating? Because that's not the same thing, you know. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that's yeah. I mean, like, well, pleasure is dangerous in the sense that if it's used, yeah, yeah, yeah. too, yeah. Well, over the, crack, I mean, over the cracks. Yeah, well, I mean, like, we only have a certain amount of, again, this is where you start getting from, like, the psychological to the technical, the neurophysiological. We only have so many different types of, like, neurotransmitter, and they are released at different times. So, like, you know, the pleasure from pleasure from food can be replicated in, in certain different, like, habits and behaviors that we have. So, yeah, it's just like me. Like, it's just some, it's, it becomes a bit semantical at times. It, it becomes a habit, or, doesn't it? Because mm. dopamine... Well, that, well that's why, but, I mean... Well, it's like the alcohol one's a really interesting one because alcohol is a is is called depressant, and people yeah. think it's because it like makes you depressed, and it's like not necessarily. It doesn't necessarily everyone who drinks it makes them depressed, but what it does do is it kind of for people who are stressed or anxious or worried, it it's a depressant. It depresses central nervous system activity, which is yeah. kind of if you're a stressed and anxious and worried person who can't relax, well then guess what? Chances are alcohol is going to be like a really big, it's, you know, I always say it's putting a Band-Aid on a broken leg, uh, a Band-Aid if it was American, a plaster on a broken leg. But that doesn't make sense in the UK because you would put plaster on a broken leg, right? Yeah. But that's why I use that's why I use Band-Aid. But it's sort of like you're treating, the sim you're treating the cause, you're treating the symptoms, not the cause. So I would always encourage people, um, if they are fine and they've got these repeated negative behaviors that are detrimental, and they can look at it and track it and look at the data and it's clearly detrimental whether we want, and, and this is where a bit of self-honesty comes into it. And this is where, you know, we can, ha we can, I always say this, it's like, we're like guide dogs. We're not pushing you in a wheelchair. Like, you know, we can guide you in the right direction, but you still have to do the walking yourself. Right. Yeah. It's like, you, you have to be self-reflective enough to say that this behavior, you might not be like, I'm mean, using alcohol as an example. You might not be addicted. You might not have, have alcoholism. Like it's a truly awful disease. I lost an uncle to it recently. Um, you know, it's, it's a truly awful thing, but mm -hmm. ultimately, like if you're still, um, whether it's watching TV shows late at night because you're not dealing with the stresses of the day and it's a distraction, whether whatever it is that you're using to accommodate for, accommodate the right word, uh, compensate for, or 
distract or whatever it is away from the things that are driving your behaviors. We have to still be self-reflective enough to not just kind of, um, I guess, justify our own BS sometimes. And I'd say like the more intelligent clients that I work with and, you know, most of the people on Turtle I've come across are, you know, good, solid, intelligent, educated, smart, hardworking people, um, you know, like who have, you know, a good outlook on life, who are engaged, who, who like have the, have the intellectual capacity to be more than successful in weight loss. But that comes with the unfortunate characteristic of the human condition of being able to justify a lot of our own nonsense and not be able to take the emotion out of it. And like, we all do it. I do it all the time. Like, I know I'm making bad decisions, but I still make them and then try and justify it afterwards. It's just that, you know, with time and experience and practice, and again, with journaling or even just like mental self-reflection at the end of the day, sometimes we have to just draw a line in the sand and go, all right, come on, Paul, you know, that wasn't the right thing to do. You know, you haven't done the things that you need to do to be successful today. So, you know, yes, yes, be upset, be (laughs) frustrated, be angry, be whatever. But ultimately, if you want to change the thing, then change the thing. Let's not just lie to ourselves about it. And it's like I say, it's with clients of mine, it's almost like the more intelligent they are, like people who would be seen as like intelligent, highly educated jobs, it's almost harder for them because it's, they're very good at justifying negative behaviors in the context of other things. Whereas other people, you know, normies like myself, I know I've got a PhD, but I don't consider myself to be hyper intelligent at all. But like, you know, I'm aware of when I'm calling myself for my own BS, I might still do it, but at least I'm aware of it. Right. So, you know, I think that for, for a lot of people, if you are struggling with this, it's not about beating yourself up. It's about saying, right. Okay. What's, you know, I think Hugh said it a while ago on like one of the first, um, the first workshops you did with us, which was like, you know, the difference between your uh, difference between reasons and what was it? Reasons and excuses are your values. So if you know, if you can think about what our values are, and then it's like, actually, was that a reason to overeat on that day? Was it a reason to not exercise? Was it a reason to go off the reservation for two weeks, go renegade, as I always say, you know, was that a reason or was it an excuse? And sometimes it might be a reason and you might go, you know what, I was traveling or it was a wedding or I've had a really stressful time and weight loss just isn't a focus of mine right now. But let's be honest about that. You know, like if you're struggling with weight loss because there's lots of other stuff going on, 100%. let's deal with the reasons. 100%. Yeah, let's deal with the reasons why and not feel guilty about it. Like not everybody is ready to lose weight right now. Oh, it's priorities, but, man, isn't it? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, like, I noticed the other day, I went to a shop and um, I was like, I'm trying to drop some facts. I want to go back into running. I need to drop like 10 pounds or something to be more like, uh, I feel better, better running, a bit lighter. And I was just like, and I want to get a bit leaner. And I was in the shop and I just picked like, went for a chocolate bar or whatever. And I was like, yeah, it's obviously not that important to me to lose weight right now or to be getting So like, I'm just going to have this chocolate bar. And I understand why. It's because really, I kind of want to drop some fat and get leaner, but it's not that important to me. Yeah. And I was like, that's the reason why I'm out eating this chocolate bar when I didn't plan to eat it. And that's fine. Yeah. Like, it's fine for me to understand that. It's like, sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm going to read now. I'm like, are you going to read now to escape doing what you need to do? And are you going to rationalize it by saying you're going to learn more things? Or are you re- is your escape the reading? And I'm like, yeah, my escape, I'm trying to escape right now mm. to read. And then that's not the reason I should be reading. I'm just trying to not do the task at hand. Yeah. And, and we all we, and we all do it. We all, we all go, I mean, ways, yeah, we've all different ways. Some people go for a run, some people drink alcohol, some people go and pray to God, some people whatever it is. Just, yeah, the objective the the objective thingy is different, but really it's the same route that the drives it. It's an escape. Yeah. No matter what. And some are worse than others, obviously, but 
And and, yes, yes. and the thing is with that, it's just trying to find a way to then keep the keep the goal in as not stressful way as possible in focus. You know, like so big big obvious ones for people to lose weight is they might be fine in inverted commas being overweight, but it's when they then get a real big challenge to their health or they notice something like, you know, that they their certain blood markers are elevated because of you know, and then it becomes like reality, you know, that the manifestation of their unhealthful behaviors has become a problem. You know, it's like, it's like for me, the, I, I get joy out of doing hard things and like, I get frustrated at not completing certain events. And like last year I had like an absolute nightmare in an ultramarathon and it might sound like a bit of a, might sound a bit disingenuous to compare like weight loss to an ultramarathon. It's like different ends of the spectrum, but the emotions I got from that were really negative and it really put me off. Like I was in a really bad place for a few days afterwards. I trained for months for this and then something silly happened. But then, you know, I was happy to gain some weight after that to get my health back because my body had been under stress. But since I started running again, it was like my joints hurt more because I'm heavier and I've got a very specific weight at which I can't run a certain distance because like I just feel it in my hips and my knees and I feel heavy. So that for me was the necessity in triggering something which is part of a bigger goal. Now, that's the point really is that it doesn't matter what what the what it is we're trying to achieve. Like there's got to be enough of a necessity or a focal point to say, like you said there with the chocolate bar, it's like, am I really that bothered about this right now? No, cool, well, I'm just going to eat this and get on with my life. It's just an awareness. Whereas another time when there's a real reason to um, to achieve said goal, whatever that might be, then it's it, you would have put the chocolate bar back down, right? It's like, I don't actually need this. You know, it's important to me right now. And yeah, I think once you've got, once you've got those, um, enough of those reasons in place, combined with the right, uh, with dealing with the stresses in life and strains in life to put yourself in a good approach to be able to put work into yourself and be able, you know, a lot of clients of mine, especially again, the hyper-intelligent ones will tell me, health's a priority of theirs but it's probably actually if they were to list it and be meaningful it's probably about 10th on their list behind business and 100%. you know work yeah, and other stuff as well and you know even like they were being honest it's like watching netflix episodes it's like go to bed earlier oh no i was watching this series right so you put watching tv above your health and if yeah. that's the case and you're honest about that that's when it's like i probably need to really i don't think it's that people truly believe that i think it's just that people get into these habits and it's only when they they sit down and think about them. They then start to realize that actually, you know what, if I was to take the emotion out of this, like I am literally putting, you know, watching Netflix or whatever it is above my health. And when you actually contextualize that and realize how ridiculous that sounds when you write it down or say it out loud, you know, that's part of what my job as a coach is, is it's to, is to talk to people and then for them to say things out loud to hope them, hopefully make them understand that they, they say one thing overt, like openly to me, but actually in practice, there's a conflict there which they need to resolve because they say things like, oh, I want to be healthier, I want to be fitter. But really on their priority list, it doesn't fit into their top five or six things. And until it does, and you're honest about that, and you can really try and find the reason to, to do that, then you know it's always going to be that case because there's always going to be another stressor at work. There's always going to be another family function. There's always going to be another, I don't whatever in your life that is going to knock that health down as a priority. But I would guarantee you, if you ask most of our members what their priority is, you know, what, what they value most, most people would say it's their health. Yeah, actually, I'd say most people in Western society don't live their lives like health is their priority. They don't, you know? they don't, that's, that's they don't value their health until they have to value their health, number one. And yeah, they've yeah. They've got problems, yeah. and then it's too late. <laughs> and that's, that's, you know, but I think it's one of those things, it's the immediacy thing as well, isn't it? It's like, it's not a problem until it is. Like, you know, it's, it's something yeah. that was... 
I don't know who said that to me, and it's I know it's a widely used expression. It's like, yeah, it's not a problem until it becomes one. And unfortunately, <laughs> you know, unfortunately with the health stuff in particular, the longer we leave it, the harder it gets for a lot of people. You know, um, until it gets to a point where they then become so entrenched in their old habits and behaviours, and they don't seek the right support, and they don't have the confidence to do that, and. And I like to say for like a lot of people, like it does become a genuinely positive catalyst. You know, I've had clients of mine, like it's only when they've got to a point where it has hurt their health that it's triggered a significant desire to change. Yeah. And then hopefully that creates momentum. Um, yeah. But yeah, unfortunately... Yeah, the the, the yeah. thing is as well, you get, you, you get worse slowly. No one becomes obese in a week. It's a, yeah. You're either slowly getting worse or you're slowly getting better as like long-term things. I know there's in between like loss your your diet and faster going on training regime for eight weeks smash and then you drop off there are people that do it quicker but if you really think about it you either got the mindset of slowly incrementally getting better slowly or you're going to get worse and when you get to 50 60 70 and you go fucking hell i haven't done much wrong my health is like your average steps a day was 2000 you have done no resistance training for 30 years you haven't you haven't really looked at your calorie intake at all all you would have had to done mm. is to have just kept a bit of a check in your calories, bit, walked a bit more, done one or two sessions a week of your training, and you would have been yeah. in a ungodly better different position today than you would have been. Well, the interesting, interestingly on that, and to finish on a science note today, because we've prattled on for nearly an hour, I think, um, well the, um, there was a study released recently where they looked at um, age-related muscle loss, and what they found was that even in endurance athletes, they lost a lot of muscle fiber as they got older. And the reason for that is because it seems to be that age-related muscle loss tends to happen preferentially in like type 2 muscle fibers. So for anyone listening to this, type 2 is the muscles that do all the heavy lifting and the explosive stuff like sprinting, lifting weights. So if there's ever, ever, ever a big shiny arrow signpost to just lift some stuff, even if it's <laughs> body weight, whatever, like that's it. You know, forget, forget wanting to look like a cover model for, you know, health and fitness magazine. Like if you, if you don't want to lose muscle and end up, you know, spending the last six months, of your, and I'd hate to catastrophize and stuff, but I don't know, maybe it works for some people. But, you know, if you yeah. don't want to spend the last three months of your life in hospital in a, in, in a bed because you broke your hip because you've fallen over because you're not strong enough, like, you know, do your damn strength yeah. training, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> take, your you take your medicine. Just take your medicine. Just a week, like, do you know what I mean? It's yeah. Not even, it, does, it doesn't take that much either. It really doesn't no, take that much. No. It doesn't take that it's much. It's surprisingly so, yeah. low, actually, how much you have to do. But we can talk about that maybe next week. Like We will. Let's do that then. Yeah, let's do a science one next week. Yeah, sound. Well, nice one, Dr. P. It was a good chat. Hopefully everyone enjoyed and you have a good day. Get on with your day. Crack on and let us know you get on. But Dr. P, we speak next week, yeah? Yes, sir. Uh, thank you again, Scotty no boy. No problem, boy. Have a good one. See you later, man. Bye, Bye. Bye.